0: Welcome to the World War I History Podcast, produced by the MacArthur Memorial. We invite you to follow us on Twitter, at MacArthur1880, or find the General Douglas MacArthur Memorial on Facebook. This podcast was sponsored by the Ernst and Gertrude Tico Charitable Foundation. Man's intelligence has devised nothing more compact, more orderly, more admirably adapted to its purpose than the train of a great modern circus. It is a kingdom on wheels, a city that folds itself up like an umbrella. Quietly and swiftly, every night it does the work of Aladdin's lamp, picking up in its magician's arms theater, hotel, schoolroom, barracks, home, whisking them all miles away and setting them down before sunrise in a new place. And this with such accurate care for the smallest detail that there seems to have been no change at all. No army knows such severe discipline as the Troop of the Circus Train, for its 700 soldiers go into battle every morning as a matter of course and make forced marches every night. Every 24 hours, it solves a military problem that would have staggered Napoleon himself. That was written by Cleveland Moffat in the June 1895 issue of McClure's magazine. But what does the circus have to do with World War I? Well, today we're going to talk with Matthew Frost, Education Specialist at the U.S. Army Transportation Museum, about World War I and what the U.S. Army learned from circuses about transportation and logistics. Welcome, sir, and thank you for joining us today.
1: Well, thank you for having me. Glad to do it.
0: So in 1914, as German forces quickly outmaneuvered the Allies in the opening days of the war, There was some suspicion among the Allies that the circuses that had traveled around Europe in the years before the war, many of which were owned by German families or had German names, that these circuses had perhaps helped the German army prepare for a very rapid, very efficient mobilization and transportation across Europe. Even the Americans, who were not yet involved in the war, suspected that this might be the case. And was this true? Did the Germans study circus logistics before World War I? Did the circuses help the German army?
1: Well, it's just really kind of a, a mere coincidence that the circuses had the German names, because when we get involved in World War One, anything that had a German name attached to it uh, was viewed with some degree of suspicion. People would change their German-sounding names to sound more American. Entire towns would s- change their German-sounding name to make it uh, more American. So the fact that the Germans were running the trains, are uh, running the circuses, excuse me, eh, just, just a mere coincidence. Uh, the Germans, yeah, they did study the circus, but it's a military thing. Uh, The circuses didn't go there intentionally to train the Germans how to do it. The Germans just happened to utilize the circus while they were there to learn something that they felt might help them in the future. The Germans, especially the German military, have always uh, been viewed as a very efficient organization, not just with the circus, but with everything else. So they had actually been studying the railroad since the Franco-Prussian War of 1870. They've got people they view as enemies on multiple borders, and they were always trying to figure out the best way to move soldiers from point A to point B in case a war ever broke out. And they learned very early, right around 1870, uh, the, the quickest way to get the soldiers where they needed to go was going to be by train. So studying them prior to World War I is just something they had been doing for almost 40 years before the war actually began.
0: Did other European militaries study the circuses too?
1: Oh, yes. Pretty much every country in Europe that the circus went to, they sent military representatives to study it, to see how they did things. You had Belgium, the Netherlands, France, and Austria all sent military officers to observe uh, the circus when the uh, Ringling Brothers did a tour of Europe.
0: So let's focus now on the U.S. Army. Can you give us an overview of how the U.S. Army's transportation needs evolved in the years leading up to World War I?
1: The Army is always learning things depending on the situation in which it finds itself. Uh, for example, watercraft. Uh, prior to the Spanish-American War, we never really sent large numbers of soldiers overseas anywhere. So we didn't really do anything with watercraft. Well, following the Spanish-American War, we have people overseas, Guam, Puerto Rico, the Philippines. We're going to be sending people overseas on a regular basis. So we adopt a new form of transportation, watercraft on a permanent basis, the Army Transportation Service. Trucks, new technology in the early 1900s. Uh, the Army always quick to adopt new technology if it could find a use for it, sometimes even if they can't find a use for it right away. And the Army first began to use trucks, same time the general public started to use trucks in the first few years of the 1900s. And uh, with the first time we would actually use trucks in a military tactical situation was in 1915 during the Mexican Punitive Expedition. Railroads didn't go everywhere in northern Mexico. We could get trucks from the railroad to where the soldiers were at. Uh, Were they really much better than the wagons we had been currently using? No, not really. Speed-wise and amount-wise, about the same. But it's the new technology. Whenever it comes out, whenever the Army develops a need, they will see if they can make use of what's coming up.
0: What logistical challenges does the U.S. Army face in World War
1: I? Uh, Perhaps the biggest one is... the change in the size of the army, that's that's a big one. Uh, going from probably less than 100,000 men to over a million men, each one of those soldiers needs to have a uniform weapon. There needs to be guns, uh, not just rifles for the soldiers, but artillery, ammunition, food, gasoline everything increases exponentially (laughs) with the larger you get the army. And to further uh, complicate things, it's all going to be going overseas. Yes, we had watercraft by this point. I just mentioned that, the Army Transport Service. Uh, But we've never had the need to move millions of men and everything they need to fight a war (laughs) across hundreds of miles of ocean in order to Where they're needed, Uh, the army also, uh, and this was a bit of a challenge, had a very complex logistical system. We did we didn't make it simple on ourselves. Everything gets over to France by ship, Army Transport Service Uh, at the French ports. Everything then gets shifted over to the railroad uh, at this point, operated by the Engineer Branch. Well, the likelihood of any particular unit being located next to a rail line was slim, so we took it as far as we could up the rail line, and then we shifted it over uh, to trucks operated by a new organization called the Motor Transport Service. But trucks, not always four-wheel drive, so they couldn't get everywhere, So if the trucks couldn't do it, then we had to shift things again over to horse-drawn wagons or mule-drawn wagons, actually, and they were operated by the quartermaster department. So we had four separate organizations playing some part in the chain, four separate organizations that had four separate ways of doing things. So it complicated it a lot. And another challenge, and this is not just unique to the U.S. Army, this is every army has this problem, to move more men, more equipment, faster. That's just a simple military axiom. Uh, There's the old uh, Civil War phrase that get there first with the most came about by a famous uh, Southern general. It it applies here too. Every army wants to get to the key location as fast as possible and have their men equipped with whatever they need uh, to achieve that victory.
0: Well, that leads me into my next question then. And we've talked about what European armies did in terms of learning from circuses. So when does the U.S. Army take an interest in circus logistics?
1: We took an interest in 1905. Was there a particular reason in 1905? No, but like any military, you want to do the best possible job that you can. And so you try to learn new things. And in 1905, the powers that be, I guess, decided it's time for us to better learn how to use trains. Because what we had been doing is whenever we loaded a train, we would lift stuff from the ground up onto the wagon, up over the sides. Now, that's, that's what we'd been doing since the Civil War. Could it be done? Yes. But it was a very slow process. So we make the decision that if you want to learn how to do a job better, you go to the people who are experts in the field. I mean, that that applies to everybody's job. Same with the Army. Uh, The Army, they only loaded trains maybe three or four times a year during maneuvers, just as a training exercise. So we want to learn how to do it. You go to the people who do it three to four times a week not just three to four times a year. And that was the circus.
0: Can you describe some of the loading and unloading skills that the Army adapts from the circus? And do we have evidence that this is put into practice during World War I?
1: The style of loading trains, which the Army refers to as the piggyback style, that is what we learned from the circus. Now, the way the circus did it is instead of loading stuff up and over, lifting it up over the side, they loaded it coming from the back, moving towards the front. And in between cars, they put wooden spanners so the wheels of the vehicles could easily move from the rear and they could move everything all the way up to the front. Did we do that during World War 1? Yes, but because we have pictures of them doing that during World War 1, but it wasn't what everybody in the army did during World War 1. It really wouldn't become uh, officially adopted by the army until uh, 1926. But we did start doing it uh, during World War I.
0: The Army has a huge responsibility to house and feed soldiers and animals during the war. And circuses obviously have to do this for their performers and for their animals. Does the Army learn how to feed and house its uh, men and animals from the circus?
1: Yep, that is yes. Not only did we learn how to load trains from the circus, but we learned how to support the people who were loading the train and unloading the trains for the circus. Uh, One one thing that we learned from them is called a mobile kitchen wagon. People need food. They're going to be enthusiastic about their job, especially if they've traveled long distances, they're going to be hungry. You need to feed them while they're working. So mobile kitchen wagons were actually loaded onto trains, and they would actually be doing some cooking while the train is going down the tracks, so that when we get to the destination, there's food immediately available to uh, feed, in the Army's case, all of its soldiers. And the way it works with piggyback style is obviously the last thing loaded is the first thing that gets unloaded because you go then go from the back or the, excuse me, the front to the back. So the very last thing ever loaded on the train was that kitchen wagon (laughs) so that when it gets off, the soldiers can immediately get something to eat right there. And not only did they do that, that was the quick immediate solution. But unloading a train may be a long process, so they also made small transportable uh, kitchen ranges, little portable stoves as it is, that they could also unload early in the process so they can start uh, producing more food on a larger scale for long the process lasts, more food needs to be produced, so you have all these ranges doing cooking while the process is going on.
0: And for the animals too, is there a way that they learn to feed them faster?
1: Oh, oh, sure. Yes. They for As for animals, yeah, they always had, and this has been a common thing, forage wagons loaded with straw, oats, hay, I mean, whatever, whatever they're choosing to feed the animals. And they would do the exact same thing with that. Um, when before the animals are offloaded at whatever stage in the process- uh, that that food would be immediately available for them as well. Usually, when it comes to loading and unloading wagons, for example, or trucks, those things are, well, when it comes to animals, it would be wagons. Uh, the wagons would come off, be manhandled off, pushed off by the various soldiers. And then the animals would come out of a different part of the train in a different location. And then they would uh, meet up and move along down the road.
0: So what haven't we covered in terms of the U.S. Army and circuses?
1: Uh, Well, that learning, we talk about learning from the experts and the process. Uh, well, I learned something. It wasn't long ago uh, that I was taking a group of soldiers through the museum and we were passing by the, our, our uh, army and the circus display. And just one of the uh, trainees just kind of sat off the top of his head. Oh, so that's why they call it circus style. So even the modern soldiers still learn the term circus style, because to this very day, what the army does is still they load everything from the rear to the front uh, with the spanners covering covering the gaps. And the army still views trains as one of the most efficient ways of moving large numbers of vehicles from a military base, say, to a port where they would then be put to board ship to be uh, taken overseas.
0: Any other final thoughts? Well,
1: again, the Army is just, it's always, always a learning process, no matter what you do with things. Uh, the Army is no exception. We've always gone to the experts whenever we felt we needed something new. For aircraft, we learned directly from the Wright brothers, the experts of the time. So the trains, it makes sense. Again, you go through the experts, which was the circus. That was true back then, and the Army continues to this day uh, to learn new things, to learn more efficient ways of getting our personnel where they needed to go, where they need to go, and keeping them supplied once they get there. Uh, Here at the Army Transportation Museum, trains are just one topic of Army transportation that we cover Uh, We cover everything from the American Revolution up through the modern day. Uh, Inside the museum, it's chronological from the American Revolution to the modern day. Uh, But we also have four big outside display areas, one covering trucks, a different one, watercraft, a third one, aviation. And of course, we do have quite a large section devoted to the Army Railroad. Here at the Transportation Museum, we are open uh, Tuesday through Saturday, 9 o'clock until 4.30. Uh, We would be very happy if any of you would like to come and visit and learn a little bit more, not only about the history of the U.S. Army, but specifically about the history of U.S. Army transportation.
0: Well, it's a fascinating museum, and I hope people are able to visit. And thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today.
1: I'm glad to do it.
0: Thank you for listening. If you have questions, suggestions, or comments, we want to hear from you. You can find us on Twitter at MacArthur1880, on Facebook as the General Douglas MacArthur Memorial, or you can email MacArthurMemorial at Norfolk.gov.